house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. guys trying to put you away. They don't pay you to turn me loose, do they? What do you guys do, work on commission? Do you want me to represent you in this competency hearing? I don't know. Are you any good? You had good. Now you got me. What do you want to do? Put her back in the street, see who she kills next? Now don't bother anyone who doesn't bother me first. You get it? I think you broke his nose. So the day's not a total loss. <laughs> we love you, dear. What? We love you. Why didn't you tell me you were working for them? This is a woman even a father could hate. <laughs> Maybe I am crazy. My child is ill. She's sick. She's impossible to talk to. She needs help. Claudia the nut! Well, I won't play that part, you hear me? That's enough. I won't be nuts for you. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast crap... Oh no. The only podcast crapping. Crapping. Um, crapping into a toilet. <laughs> Love to crap into my creative unconscious. Um, it happens a lot. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast tapping into our creative unconscious by making out with Kristen Chenoweth. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with uh, my legal representation, uh, my very adversarial legal representation, Joe Reed. Hello, gorgeous. <laughs> there was no other way. There was no other way to enter into this conversation. Joe, I think we're having some uh, audio issues today. Papa, can you hear me? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very good. I'm so excited. I am very, very happy we get to talk about who we're going to talk about today. As we were saying off mic, um, this is a very rare occasion that we're going to have to talk about Barbara Streisand. She doesn't make a ton of movies, and the ones that were Oscar positioned generally got some kind of nomination for it. Mm-hmm. Like, we could do the guilt trip eventually, but this, I think for where it happens in Barbara's career allows us to talk about some other more interesting things naturally. Right. The it's guilt also trip. the oldest movie we've ever done. Absolutely. Which I'm also very excited about. What was our, Love our previous oldest was Frankie and Johnny, perhaps 1991. No, no it was uh bonfire. Of the vanities. Very good. I believe yes. it was 1990. I think that was 1990. So this is our first trip into yeah. the eighties, which is also exciting. A yeah. Movie the guilt- almost as old as I am. Oh, shut up. Um, I was baby when this movie opened. I was all baby. right, all right. I was in school already. I was uh, whatever, first grade, second grade, something like that. Um, you were also yeah. The baby. guilt, the guilt trip had plausible Oscar buzz. I do remember there being some sort of long lead, like maybe Barbara for supporting actress. You never know. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think we expected a Golden Globe nomination out of that. But, like, the guilt trip more so than, say, Meet the Fockers would... uh, Right. That one would count and one would not count. I don't think I would be willing to stretch our credibility quite so far as Meet the Fockers. Yeah. But this is perfectly in our Obviously bad Barbara movies or, like, the Barbara bombs from the 
early 80s and some of them from the 70s were not really ever an Oscar play, too. So, yes, I'm very excited to talk about Miss Streisand. The Barbara Bombs was my teen punk girl band in the 1980s <laughs> while you were be- busy being born. I was in a... Uh, a uh, teen punk you girl were the problematic group. um like manager the michael shannon <laughs> i was i was stealing their money <laughs> to the barbara bombs <laughs> was stealing all their money they had to fight me in court court much like uh we see in nuts um much much like we see much like we see almost the entirety of nuts i mean it's you talk about movies that are adapted from plays that really seem it and if I didn't already know that Nuts was adapted from a play, the telltale sign is like, oh, two scenes in this movie take up 80% of this movie, and they're all in one location. Just like, exactly. Yeah. Well, and also, like, okay, so in our TIFF episode, we talked about it because, like, this is a complaint that was lodged at one Regina King's One Night in Miami, that it's like, oh, uh, it's just such a play. It's just people talking in a room. And it's like, okay, that is the case example of, like, when that can be great and exciting and watchable. And this is the opposite, <laughs> where it's like, yes, you can tell it's adapted from a play and it is very boring. It's like this. I think this is watchable. I will say, I, maybe we disagree Nothing on this. Nothing with movie. Barbara Streisand isn't watchable. Is there we go. Yes. The bar, though. That's the thing. I think Beyond... she's, she's so incredibly naturally compelling. I watched a lot of, um, uh, interview as much mu- as many interview clips as I could before this uh, to prepare. She didn't do a ton of press for this. She did do yeah. She did almost nothing. She did a Today Show uh, multi part interview with Jean Shalit. That was sort of the level of um, interrogation she was interested in for this movie. She did like two thirds of it, and then she they brought in Dreyfus for the final third of it. But just sort of listening to Barbara Streisand talk in that way, and listening to her act in this. There is a, and it's, you know, probably because she's such a prolific singer, but she's, there is a melodic quality to the way that she speaks mm-hmm. that is never not going to be compelling. I compare, I, I thought of, it's sort of how I feel about Stockard Channing is like, even when Stockard Channing just speaks, it sounds like she's singing because her voice has such a, like particular quality to it. I whenever I watch They understand the rhythm of language. Whenever I watch Stockard Channing on the West Wing, which I do frequently, and Aaron Sorkin is a writer who writes with a musicality. He's talked about that. Like he writes with a kind of rhythm to his dialogue. And so like watching uh, Stockard Channing deliver Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. She might as well be like belting it out because it's just so. Yes, I do that sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to go 15 rounds on Bess Truman and what constitutes a farm. On your behalf, I have responded to polling information telling me what I should wear and what I should say, to say nothing of the fact that I have been subpoenaed to answer questions before Congress and how I secretly kept you alive. So explain to me now how what I did was out of line. Wonderful to listen to. And it immediately, as soon as I had that thought, I was just like, God damn it, I want Barbara Streisand to speak Aaron Sorkin dialogue, except... The clash of those two, like, control-freaky egos on the set of a movie might, like... It would be celebrity deathmatch. It would. It would be like a black hole would just, like, emerge in the middle of Hollywood and suck everybody into it. It would be amazing. I would, however, watch... um, I I mean, buyer and seller already exists. I would watch the, like, 
Sorkin social network like origin story of Barbara Streisand's uh mall basement. Uh-huh. So we need to talk we need to we need to deliver this and, and like just in case there are people listening to our podcast who don't know A about the mall in Barbara Streisand's basement or B um Byron Seller in general. So Barbara Streisand has a home in Malibu. Is this the Streisand effect home, right? Is this the home that she got so upset about people taking photographs of that she like created the Streisand effect for it? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Cause that was, you know about that whole thing, right? About how yeah, 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 that's yeah, why it's course. called a Streisand effect when you make a big deal about something that like a few people care about. And now all of a sudden a lot of people care about it because you're making a big deal of it. So I think it's the same home. Regardless, she probably has multiple homes. It's fine. She's Barbara Streisand. She's got a bajillion dollars. Um, her home in Malibu reportedly, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember how much of it is photographed. I got my old roommate, my friend Daniel, a coffee table book um, that is called Barbara Streisand, My Passion for Design. And I think in that there are photos of that home and maybe of her basement or maybe I'm like apocryphal, like putting that out in like making that true because I want it to be true. Anyway, um, she's got a mall in the basement of this Malibu home, like with shops and with, you know, a cute little frozen yogurt shop and, like, whatever. There's, like, cute little whatever. And it's not public. It's not for people to come shop in. It's just for her and for, for her, her guests. And she for her employs family. people down there. Well, that's the conceit of Byron Seller, which is... Um, I mean, it's a one-man show of a man who was originally played by Michael Yuri. I actually saw it here played by Nina West, pre-drag race. Stop it. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Andrew is amazing. Um, it was so fun. Uh, but it is a man who is hired to, like, I'm, I'm literally doing finger quotes, work the shops of Barbara's basement. And, like, Barbara will come down there and you have to role play like she's just any um, customer. And it's all designed to be, like, an old town. So it's yes. like, I think it's like a popcorn store or something in the play. Maybe it's ice cream. There's definitely a frozen yogurt shop in, in, frozen in yogurt. the play. Yeah. But I think there's also a popcorn and there's also like a dress shop. The This play was, Dolls. it's a one-man show uh, written by Jonathan Tolins. And when I saw it uh, at the Barrow Street Theater in New York, it was Michael Yuri, as you mentioned, performing... After decades of fame and fortune and unbridled acquisition, Barbara has a lot of stuff. Who doesn't? But Barbara didn't want some run-of-the-mill basement to keep it all in. No, Barbara doesn't like run-of-the-mill anything. Although she does, in fact, run a mill. (laughs) Page 44. (laughs) Barbara wanted something special. Let us quote the relevant passage. I had another idea for this space. Why not do a street of shops like I had seen at Vintercure? Uh, John had to look it up too. Uh, Vintage is some decorative arts museum in Delaware. We're supposed to know that. In one section of the museum, they recreated all these little stores a china shop, a country store, just the way they would have looked in the early 1800s. And then they used them to display various collections. Wouldn't it be fun to do something similar? Wouldn't it? <laughs> so that's what she did. <laughs> she built a shopping mall in her basement. <laughs> Remember, this is the part that's real. 
phenomenal fantastic who i had already like loved forever since ugly betty so like it was um quite a first full circle moment but like how did we get onto this subject barbara streisand barbara Mall, streisand's basement, control freak. basement right so the the sort of moment of Barbara Streisand in the 80s around Nuts also is like the Yentl through at least Prince of Tides, maybe extend it to Mirror Has Two Faces, but like at least Yentl through Prince of Tides, which is almost a decade, 83 to 91, mm-hmm. is the uh, the conversation around Barbara Streisand is almost exclusively around her as a control freak, as a perfectionist, as sort of uh, this is the... Barbara Streisand as director sort of era where she mentioned it in the Gene Shalit interview when he was like, if you could only be an actor or a singer, what would you want to be? And she said, you didn't say, or a director, because that was her answer was she wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to direct. And part of that is Barbara, I think, just giving the answer that, you know, wasn't on the table because she's, you know, doesn't want to be limited in that way. But also, I think she was passionate about directing the films that she directed she didn't direct nuts but like i remember when uh did you watch the the concert special the netflix concert special of hers from a couple years ago phenomenal right (laughs) phenomenal speaking of like she has an ice cream truck backstage at her concert for just like her and james brolin and like three other people to partake of she orders stone crabs on the phone it's a whole time it's really fucking fantastic check it out um but during that, during one of her numbers, or during one of her like stage patter sections, of which there are plenty, there's so much stage patter in that, um, and also like so many like mom jokes. It's like a cavalcade of mom jokes. Do you remember the one where it was like, um, back back when I was young, the only people who had cell numbers were in jail. Like it's all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's perfect. There's an was Uber joke the in there where she also yelled, um, "Shut the fuck up." Oh, maybe. Where, like, someone was booing her for saying, like, uh, political stuff, and then she goes, shut the fuck up. Oh, that's perfect. It's amazing. But during one of the bits, there's, they showed shots of her from her film sets, from directing, and it's from her on Prince of Tides and her on Yentl, and they showed a shot of her on the set of Nuts, like, looking into the camera. Now, she doesn't direct Nuts. Nuts is directed by Martin Ritt, a pretty, you know. She had the opportunity to and said she didn't want to direct it. Right, but she, like, uncredited script rewrites uh, on this script, or hers, mm-hmm. and, like, clearly, like, they're, they're just from these photographs, like, she's, at the very least, has definite opinions about uh, the directorial choices on this movie. There was never any reports of, like, strife between her and Martin Ritt on the set of this movie, but, like, you can imagine, like, this is still Barbara, like, right in the thick of her wanting to have a huge degree of control on her movies. So uh, I thought I always, I, that, you know, that still photo um, amused me, but like the whole conversation around her was, she was sort of at the forefront of this. Are you a boss or are you a bitch conversation? At least in Mm -hmm. Hollywood terms of, you know, if a man acted this way, you would call him a visionary. When a woman acts this way, she's a control freak, like all this sort of stuff. All the jokes about Barbara. Dreyfus is making him in the in the shallot interview. Like it's there seems it's one of those things where it's just like, this is plausibly good natured, but also like Barbara does not seem amused where he's yeah, t- joking. Also noted uh 
asshole who got away with it, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, he makes a joke one time about her walking. She tells a story about her walking into a bar. She's like, one time I wanted to go out into town. I didn't want to be recognized. So I put on a blonde wig and I went into town and I walked into a bar and everybody was like, oh, it's Barbara. Um, and then he makes, I think, a pretty funny crack about He's like, yeah, but before she walked in, she made sure the lighting was, she She had them change the lighting and the and the overhead in the bar. I was just like, okay, that's, that's not bad. Um, that's a little bit of a good one. That's a, yeah, it's a pretty good burn, Patrice. Um, but like that was the whole conversation around Streisand at that time was just like there's that Mike Wallace interview that they did before Prince of Tides that I think was included in the Mike Wallace documentary, if I'm not mistaken, right? Where he was like uh, really like mean to her <laughs> and uh, it was very sort of like confrontational, so, like adversarial yeah. between the two of them. Like she, she gives as good as she gets, and like it, it's it's a fascinating interview because. It's very punchy, but it's punchy in both directions, which I really enjoyed. Like there was, mm-hmm. I I remember always hearing about it from. There's that line in my very very favorite SNL sketch, which is the coffee talk sketch where Barbara shows up, and it's Madonna and Roseanne and Mike Myers. All this talk of food is making me hungry, girl. Exactly, just a perfect moment. I I'm pr- like. I'm almost positive that all three of them were surprised. I think it was a surprise for everybody. Sometimes... If I remember from the E! True Hollywood SNL, uh, I do think that it was a surprise that she showed up. Well, that's all the time we have this week. My name is Linda Richmond. And my name is Liz. Of course, this is my mother. Barbara, we love you. Hello, gorgeous. The movie was like butter. Like butter. Like a big stick of butter. <laughs> Mama! Oi, all this talk about food, I'm getting hungry, girl. And, like, you can see that in the reactions. Like, to watch Madonna be flustered and surprised by anything is, like, watch... It's, like, it's such a rare moment. It's You really have to savor it because, it, you know, it'll never happen again. And it's like watching that Courtney Love moment that we've talked about before after the VMAs. Where, like, watching Madonna be intimidated by anyone is such a rare sight but watching her be like to fangirl out over somebody like she did over barbara in that moment is astounding like worth Incredible. watching but in that sketch mike myers as linda richmond sort of like makes the mention about i watched that mike wallace interview he was very he wasn't very nice to her like that whole thing and that's <laughs> what i always remembered about the mike wallace interview because of that but if you go back and watch like it's very punchy on both sides which is good like that's i mean that's sort yeah, of yeah the- she never like sat back and took it when right. all of this was uh when like those narratives were literally thrust in her face um yeah. Because, of course, I mean, it's the obvious thing to say that it was a two-sided, you know, sexist comment against her. Yeah. Um, but yes, we'll get into the Yentl of it all, too. There's there's um, Yentl of it all, for sure. I want to loop back for a second, because you were talking about the musicality of, like, her speaking voice. Yeah. And when we're talking about the movie Nuts, I think it's almost exactly the thing that makes her miscast because Barbara... It's one of the things that makes her miscast. One of the many. Um, 
Barbara, Barbara, she's playing a sex worker in this movie, and she has to describe her work and uh, and like how she would approach a man in a situation. You also see her working um, in flashbacks in the movie. Barbara's natural speaking voice is Barbara is the same thing as Barbara's sexy voice. It's clanging a bell. She's really just she's um she's Dolly Levi. She's uh, Fanny Bryce. She's just. But it's also just the thing of like if she's if she's being quiet and she's being mindful about her words, it's the same exact approach that she goes to talk about um, you know sexual congress. There's a scene where she's on the witness stand. We're bouncing all over the place, by the way, for this. We'll get into a plot description and let you let you in on what we're talking about very soon. She's on the witness stand, and she's um, describing to this very adversarial prosecutor um, how she seduces a man, how she pleasures a man, all this stuff. And she's the effect is meant to be that she's like... Um, She's turning him on as she's describing this. There's this, there's, there's a couple of times in this movie I thought of Basic Instinct, one of which is very obvious, which is the one where she, um, uncrosses her legs and, you know, spreads her legs open and invites Richard Dreyfus to stare at her, um, which I was like, oh, proto Basic Instinct. But also this scene where like all of the men in the room are like leaning forward as she's like <laughs> describing how she, uh, she pleasures her clients. And you're right. It's still, just it's the uh, same level as her speaking throughout the rest of the movie yeah yeah it's something there's also a quote that i absolutely wrote out it's at the very top of my notes where she says don't judge my blowjobs they're sane god bless it love a good sane blowjob yeah she's very uh vulgar in this movie in a way where it's like it's not like you ever imagine barbara prim and proper but like at our age, like, we grew up with, like, mom Barbara. Like, mom, you know, Barbara making mom jokes, you know? This sure, whole kind sure, of thing. sure. Um, I don't know. I think the uh, there's something about it that the vulgarity or, like, the sexual forwardness didn't really land for me. And maybe right. it's because this is, like, a very dated, stodgy movie, especially dated in its, like, conversations and considerations about sex workers. Um, I there yeah, was a, There's a just, degree to felt- which... Go ahead, sorry. It felt like it kind of had no edge. I don't think she was exactly the right person for it, but this is also, like, I don't know. It it goes back to this whole idea of, like, it's so clearly adapted from a play. And this is a play that I think was on Broadway in, like, 1980. And it very much They've been trying to make it into a movie for a while. 79, a 1979 Yeah, it's almost a decade, and it feels like... It was already a dated play by the time the movie was made. Yes. But I don't know how much of the text they changed. There's two two credited screenwriters on top of Barbara's uncredited screenwriting. Right. I reading some of the reviews at the time from uh, I went on Rotten Tomatoes and I read some of the reviews from that time. And a couple of them mention that the rewrites are. Uh, noticeable and at least one was like it's an improvement on the play like barbara's rewrites uh did improve the play i think she generally got praised for the movie even from people who didn't like it ebert didn't like this movie but he really liked barbara in it Mm -hmm. so i don't think she got this wasn't a sort of slap down moment for her which kind of surprised me because i think with a star of her caliber and especially after yentl I'm sort of surprised that 
nuts not being a success of a movie didn't also translate to like you know people dumping on her for it so i guess good for it well i mean it was her first movie since yentl and of course a lot of people dumped on her for that and like probably the dumping on her and just like the sexism she faced is the reason why she wasn't uh nominated for best director um well i i mean there's a there's varying degrees on yentl i think yentl's amazing um okay i there are things about yentl that i really like i don't think yentl is the top five movie of the year movie i mean of 83 i i would ha- i'd have to check my notes yeah, yeah, um, yeah. uh however i kind of wonder if like the movie didn't get good reviews but she did if there is kind of a subconscious thing there where it's like oh well she didn't direct it she's just starring in this movie like this is the level of ego that we will allow of her and not give her shit about it Maybe, although, I mean, when has, I still feel like there would have been room for, um, you know, sexist recriminations towards Barbara in that case. Like, I, I don't know if I want to put that kind of intentionality on sure. reviewers where they're just like, we'll be nice to Barbara this time. Like, um, well, that's why I say it would be subconscious. And there is a yeah. certain, uh, like, there is a degree to even which it's, like, very pat and tidy that this movie does, um, you know, call out a certain degree of sexism and, you know, yeah. the experiences of women. Plus, it's your very classic star turn, right? Like, that's right. that's why you, you know, cast Barbara Streisand in this. There was an earlier version of this that was going to be made with... Remind me of the director who was Deborah Winger and Mark Rydell. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah, Deborah Winger was originally the person they wanted to cast for this. So this, I think the version of this movie with Deborah Winger is probably better. It's very interesting either way. I think either actress performance is very interesting. I think Winger is better casting for it. I think it's impossible to watch this movie and then to imagine Deborah Winger, Deborah Winger, who is um, like 13 or 14 years younger than Streisand. I don't Streisand is too old for this role, but not by a lot. So it, it, it feels churlish to sort of like complain about she's 45 at the time. This is, this seems like a character who's supposed to be in her thirties, probably in her early thirties, which would have been what Winger was at the time. It's, it probably isn't worth noting, except for the fact that, like, not being the right age for her roles has been a recurring theme in Barbara's it's kind life. Of this double edged sword, too, because the character she's playing comes from affluence, but at the same time, like, you're never not aware that you're watching Barbara Streisand, and I think you need less of that for it to make any sense. Less of which? You need less of, like, the hyper awareness of the star persona that you're seeing. Yes. Yeah. Like, you're never not watching Barbara Streisand. Regular woman. Right. But you're never not time, watching. Barbara it's Streisand. like you do also have to cast somebody who is believable from like an affluent family. But this is coming on the heels of Barbara is 41 years old when she casts herself as a school child in Yentl, and. Also, like, many, many years after, like, she was 27 when she made Hello, Dolly, which is also, like, on its face insane. Like, the, playing right. the divorcee, or not, or the, widow, the widowed uh, uh, matchmaker 
<laughs> Dolly Levi and Hello Dolly. It's um it's charming in a way that there's this sort of like who the fuck cares how old I am, I'm gonna play whatever role I damn well please. And it's just like, okay, like you know, work. That's that's great. Opposite uh Walter Matthau. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean Barbara's leading man is it's it's so truly strange uh she does cast kind of the wonderful. hottest men when she's directing opposite herself no one has ever been sexier on film than a naked ass mandy patinkin in yentl um it's a really good thing i didn't see that movie as a teenager because i saw it as a 30 year old man who had a sexual <laughs> awakening um, he really is like it's if i you know, I get finding Nolte, Mandy Patinkin like, attractive in other. We see him as like a bridge troll, but oh, she caught Nick Nolte at like that at was exactly sexiest man alive. Right Nick time. Nolte, that was the exact right moment in time for Nick Nolte. That was the one. That was it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Um, yeah, she's such a fascinating personality. She's one of those. It's she got so infamous for. And again, it's that thing where it's just like, why are we picking on this person where she got so much shit for being that kind of uh, cliched limousine liberal, always sort of like yammering on about political opinions. She was like, you know, close personal friends with the Clintons, like all this sort of stuff. And um, she got so much shit for that. I remember she, there was like that dumb South Park episode where they like turned her into a Godzilla and like made fun of her nose and like all this gross shit. And it's just like, why... Why just Barbara? Like, why Why is she this our avatar for sort of Hollywood awfulness? And it's, you know, it's worth delving into why exactly. And yet, when you watch her again in that concert film, or I watched her accepting the uh, Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes, the 99 Globes, uh, right before we started here. And it's not, there's nothing villainous about her, but there is something unavoidably kind of ridiculous about her persona that i find delightful but like the fact that at the golden globes incredible like this is why like i hate the culture of like shitting on these like very powerful women who wielded their power and like ego is not always a bad thing and like we have we happily accept it on all male directors we like we we celebrate ego in all of these men like it's totally true like i'm i'm not in favor of like you know, letting her treating people poorly, treating no, no, people no, no, no. poorly, right? But like at the Globes, when she she goes on for like two minutes about actors and films who never got Oscars, and I'm like, God love you, you are making a play a plea for the Oscars at the Golden Globes. Like only you, Barbara, would have this like little <laughs> sense of occasion. It's wonderful. Yes, but I want more of that. Like, what do yes! we even have yes! these days right. that's close to it? Like. Madonna has been punched down so much that it's like it's not even Madonna anymore. I mean, maybe to a certain extent we have like Beyonce, but like Beyonce is like Beyonce is so manicured and so like like so this... like shrouded in NDAs too that right. it's like right. She just gets the benefit of like the I guess like maybe Beyonce has cracked the code, even though like she does still get shit on somewhat, but like cracking the code of like still being worshipped and being able to like use her creative power well Um, and but like i like not to like put it in these terms but like back then you uh, like the phrase was like calling these women a bitch but like i want more of those women well and and the thing about like it's been erased the thing about barbara that is so especially fascinating is 
at some point she just became wildly guarded and incredibly private and incredibly protective of her privacy. And yet at that same time, every single time she made a public appearance or did a concert or whatever, her irrepressible personality would just come blaring through anyway, which like totally kind of canceled out all of this privacy stuff because it's just like we know you as well as we ever have we have like every little foible and quirk and whatever of barbara streisand is on display at all times which is also why people love her and there's also like that's not even getting into the things that like we you and me to you know goyam on a podcast can't even get into in terms of like what she meant for you know young jewish children at the time who like idolized her and Mm -hmm. you know that's a whole you know, absolute, concrete, tangible thing as well. She's just fascinating. I find her so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there is a certain level, too, of, like, people talking shit and, like, this building this whole narrative around Barbara being a bitch that we don't even talk about the anti-Semitism that was built into that as well. Right. And yet, so much of her persona, I do think, is funny, both intentionally and not. And I think... I think there are ways to laugh along with the whole Barbara thing that are not harmful. Like you don't have to call her, you know, you know, a bitch or a or a you know control freak or whatever. But like, yeah, the, I, it's all for our benefit. She is like all of those things that have gotten her the level of control that she has demanded are all for our benefit. We get it as entertainment. Well, yes. I Yes, I always think of that Kathy Griffin routine, one of my all-time favorite Kathy Griffin routines, when she talks about Barbara being on The Oprah Show. Okay, so she sits down, and she's going to sing that song Smile from Modern Times, right? And it's beautiful, and it's pitch perfect, and she's Streisand. So she's singing it, right? And then there's slides behind her, remember this? Of her dead dog. Right? Yeah, because apparently this entire CD was inspired by her... Dead lasso opposite. <laughs> so she's singing the song and it's lovely. And then there's a giant slide of like the dog on the couch, the dog at the bowl, the dog on his back. And I'm like, Jesus, Barbara, we don't, we can't relate. Okay, so then. And have it being this like clash of egos and wills on the on uh, the Oprah Winfrey show and how. Um, there's the whole story about how uh, Barbara had the Oprah staff paint the microphone white because that's how she liked her microphone, and she was very concerned with her colors, that she made the Oprah show flip the set so that Oprah was on the uh, left side of the screen and Barbara on the right because Barbara was very at all times concerned with having a good side. I feel like that's where like the concept of a good side began was mm-hmm. with Barbara and she only wanted to be lit from one side. And if you go back and you watch, there was this very famous episode of the Rosie O'Donnell show where like Barbara had the whole hour on Rosie. Rosie like Amazing. wept Amazing when Barbara emerged from backstage. She like cried for half the episode. It was really amazing to watch. But that one also, the Rosie O'Donnell set is absolutely flipped to the opposite way. Rosie's desk was always on the right as you're watching the show. And in this one, it's on the left. Um, and it's fascinating to see somebody wield that amount of control over her environment as Barbara did in those appearances. And that episode of television, though, should have done so much more to dispel a lot of these myths around Barbara because, like, I found her to be incredibly warm and gracious. Yes. Too. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Rosie O'Donnell, you've never really seen 
a famous person like stand out the way that Rosie does, she is full on weeping uh, in like the arms of Barbara Streisand in this episode in the way that you see like, you know, teenage stands of the Beatles and yeah. like that doing where it's like, do we need to take a break? Does Rosie need someone to like get her a glass of water? Well, and that's sort like, of kind of weeping and like Barbara just like, takes it graciously and like in a way that you think based off of the mythos or like the things that are said about her that she would like run fleeing for the hills right well and that also delves into the rosie o'donnell psychology where like i think rosie has talked about uh that how because she had lost her mother at a young age like all of these figures either in her life personally or pop culturally became sort of mother figures and so she has these intense attachments to Barbara Streisand. That's why her work relationship with Barbara Walters was so fraught on The View. That's why when Susan Lucci won the Emmy, finally, after all those years, that, like, Rosie is in the audience just weeping, crying. Susan Lucci, by the way, who was the very first guest on the Rosie O'Donnell show ever. Um, But, like, Rosie is, like, weeping, crying in the audience because, like, she's talked about it. She has these sort of, like, transference issues with, you know, these figures she saw on television growing up that sort of stood in maternally for her. Um... That's kind of fascinating, too. I don't know, whatever, we're not talking about Rosie O'Donnell, although we could at some point, maybe. Um, anyway, we're talking about nuts. 1987 Yeah, you can't nuts. really talk about any one Barbara vehicle without having these concentric circles that you have yes. to wade into. Exactly. Well, let's get nuts, the, though. Let's get the plot description there so like we can talk about what's happening in this movie. Yes, yes, we are uh, cracking the 30-minute mark. <laughs> I think we've gotten better at this. We have clearly gotten... Uh, we've fallen off track uh, with our progress. We but are anyway, cracking we are nuts, here. yes, in this... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, again, the motion picture, Nuts, um, directed by Martin Ritt. Uh, credited writers are Daryl Ponixon, Alvin Sargent, also with a script polished by Barbara Streisand, uncredited, adapted from the play by Tom Topor, movie stars, one Miss Streisand, Richard Dreyfuss, the great Maureen Stapleton, yep. uh, Carl Malden, Eli Wallach, Leslie Nielsen, we will get into that, <laughs> uh, Robert Weber, and James Whitmore. It opened limited uh, November 20th of 1987 and then opened wide uh, December 11th. Merry Christmas, America. Merry Christmas. I was baby. Yeah, shut up. You were baby. You just weren't uh, quite up. baby. Yeah, I was walking and talking. You could call me Anne Heche because I was walking and talking. Cole Hollis Center. <laughs> uh, Joseph, would you like to give us a 60-second plot description of the motion picture nuts? Sure. Yes, I would. All right. If you are ready, your time starts now. Barbara Streisand plays Claudia Draper, a not-so-funny girl, but rather a high-priced call girl in New York City who's being arraigned for the crime of killing one of her Johns. Surely that can't be that John can't be played by a pre-naked gun Leslie Nielsen, you ask, but yes, he is, and stop calling me Shirley. We eventually see in flashback that she killed him in self-defense, but her wealthy uptown parents don't want the scandal of a trial, so they move to have the court declare her mentally incompetent. Claudia says fuck that and breaks her lawyer's nose, so she gets public defender Richard Dreyfus instead to defend her at the competency hearing. Claudia is capital D difficult with Dreyfus and the court-appointed shrink 
strength, played by Eli Wallach, and with the prosecutor. She's interrupting the court proceedings and making everybody hate her. But when her stepfather, played by Carl Malden, takes to the stand, Dreyfus gets it out of him that he sexually abused Claudia as a teen, and eventually she takes the stand herself and demands for her own sanity, and she says, you can't make me nuts, and then the judge rules in her favor, and she walks triumphantly into the New York City streets in her hospital gown and bathrobe, free to start pre-production on The Prince of Tides. Wow, you got that all in under time, and I'm honestly not surprised because... Not much happens. uh, Not much happens. This, for a movie (laughs) that is two hours long, could be a a brisk 90 minutes. Yeah. But it's two hours with all of that padding being like Barbara Grandstanding, and like that's what you come to this movie for anyway. When Carl Malden is on the stand... He is on the stand for a year and a day, isn't he? Yeah, a year and a day. The second they put him on the stand, you know exactly where it's going, and it is like... Being tied to a train track <laughs> and you see the train coming for a good 20 minutes yep. until, like, by the time the train runs you over, you say, thank God. Okay, here's my question, though. Trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody in 1987 who didn't, like, watch a decade's worth of television dramas that all had the same kind of, like shocking revelation of like law and order episodes incredibly matt or like the allison plot line on melrose place where she found out that her father had sexually abused her and that's why she was going through all these problems or like i think there was a plot line also perhaps in sisters but i think that was a plot line about um false memory implantation which was also a fear in the early Ah. 90s that like psychiatrists were planting false memories in their patients it was a whole thing sisters it's a great show seal award earned that emmy anyway uh, backing up, backing up. Barbara. Oh, so do you feel like if you're watching this in 1987, is this a little less cliche or is it still super cliche? I think it's still super cliche. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But yeah, you know exactly where this Carl Malden scene is going the entire time. Obviously, because here's how you here's when you know when they make a point to mention that he's her stepfather and not her father. Like I was like, right. oh, okay, I get it. There's there's a reason why in this script in this play you've differentiated why would you differentiate why wouldn't you just be your father oh there's a reason okay now yeah yeah also like uh very crushing to my heart and soul not that like people we love can't do bad things but like casting carl malden in that role was uh hard for me man i love carl malden this is his final film performance i think i read somewhere in one of the trivia which is kind of amazing because like he didn't die until the early 2000s i'm pretty sure he was definitely in an episode of the west wing and like the first or second season of the west wing um i'm talking about the west wing a lot that's weird weird for me why would i do that why would i talk about the west Wing? carl malden who hosted the like greatest oscar memories videos yeah he was the president of the academy for a while Mm -hmm. so i think he was like if you watch i think one of the earliest that are still available on youtube of like uh, Oscar nominee readings uh, from the morning shows. I think he's the president of the Academy for like the 1990 Oscars or something like that. So yeah, he's sort of, he was the the face and voice of Hollywood for a while. And Maureen Stapleton, obviously fantastic. You know who's incredible in this movie? Who? Maureen Stapleton. Yeah. You know what Maureen Stapleton's worst performance is? <laughs> what? The motion picture nuts. Maureen Stapleton <laughs> has never not been incredible. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. I was trying to think as I was watching this movie of like, what is my, um, what's my pop cultural touchstone for Maureen Stapleton? What did I first sort of come to know her from? And then I, of course, realized it's Cocoon. Like, (laughs) 
That's that's for years. See. That was the only thing I had ever known her from. Is she's the grandma from Cocoon? She's Wilford Brimley's wife. I love Maureen Stapleton. Yeah, she's fantastic. Oscar winner. She was yes. the one. She Long was. Uh, she was the first one who's in her Oscar speech. She said, "I'd like to thank everybody I'd ever met in my entire life," which Kim Basinger <laughs> quoted in her. Uh, uh, it not only did Kim Basinger quote her verbatim in her Oscar acceptance, but Shirley MacLaine quoted her in like a uh, in like a, a one-off way, where she's like, "I'm not going to thank everybody I've ever met in my entire life, but I'll thank everybody who I've ever met in this or previous lives that I've had." <laughs> in that like A plus gold plated Shirley MacLaine Oscar speech that I watch all the fucking time. Anyway. She won for Reds, which was her fourth nomination. Always in supporting. I know Interiors was one of the other ones, but I don't know if I know the other two. She's so good in Interiors. Oh, my God. Um, One of her nominations was for Airport, which it's still so funny to me. Airport. That, like, there are multiple... There's multiple of them, right? Like, Airport movies that were Oscar nominees. Like, those were prestige movies. Well, I feel like there was a... I think in the 70s... There was a string of because didn't Helen Hayes like win the Oscar for Airport that year? I think so. I'm looking it up, um, but like you also have things like The Towering Inferno. That's what I mean. There was a whole string of like disaster movies in the 70s where like these a like legendary Oscar like uh, uh, actors were in them and got Oscar nominees. Because didn't, like, Fred Astaire get a nomination for The Towering Inferno? Like, wasn't that a whole thing? I think so. But yeah, Helen Hayes definitely did win the Oscar for Airport. Maureen Stapleton also nominated. So Airport was two of the five nominees for Best Supporting Actress in 1971, which is... Best Picture or 1970. Airport. Yeah. Um, yeah, truly wild. Anyway, what a time. yeah, Maureen Stapleton's great in this. I think like the cast is really good. Eli Wallach's really good playing the uh, the adversarial psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. He and Streisand have a great scene together. Uh, James Whitmore as the judge, who I mostly know as the the guy from the Shawshank Redemption. He's really good. But let's talk about uh, Lieutenant Frank Drebin of Police Squad as uh, Barbara's John. Oh my God, Leslie Nielsen! First of all, this w- this comes out the year before the first Naked Gun movie, but like, it's it's it. One of the trivia facts in IMDb is it's Leslie Nielsen's last dramatic performance, and it makes it sound like it was just so harrowing that uh, he could never that America was so scandalized by it that they could never accept him in a dramatic role ever. Again. I was watching the scene where she ends up killing him because he tries to uh, he's like trying to have sex with her. And, like, she's done for the night. He wants her to take a bath with him, which, like, triggers her. Yeah, he's like, do you want to take a sexy bubble bath? Bubble bath. In that Leslie Nielsen voice. But he's being, like... If it was in a Naked Gun movie, you would laugh your ass off at it. I mean, I was worried. I was like, are we going to see his Naked Gun? He's in these tiny, tiny briefs. I was very upset. Um... You texted me again. We try to keep radio silence, but sometimes we can't help it. Chris texted me last night in all caps, um, like not Leslie Nielsen in his black briefs. But you then said, "I can see his balls from behind." At which point, there's a shot from behind of Leslie Nielsen, and it is not far away from his body. And he lifts up his legs, and like <laughs> you can see why the movie is titled "Nuts." It's <laughs> really upsetting. I just it is the titular role. No. 
And then she kills him, and you're like, thank God. Kills him in self-defense. He's definitely trying, at some point, he starts trying to murder her, as uh, as happens. So, okay, this is the other thing about casting Streisand in this role, is you really have no sense of the economics of her whole situation. Because it seems like she's operating on this sort of, like, classy... She's obviously, again... 45 years old when she makes this movie so like she's she's like she's a high-priced call girl right she's not just like she's not julia roberts and pretty woman she's not on a corner i want to talk about pretty woman in a minute sure i don't know i was just like there's no apparatus around her she works completely alone she has no she's not like she doesn't work for a service or anything like this but like does she have like a reputation in the city did like you know there's where where do people you know hear about her like it's 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 tough to know where how precarious her like financial situation is does she make a lot of money is she like living high on the hog because of this like uh, you don't really know there's a lot of like non-specificness to claudia as a prostitute like you get a lot more specificness about her as a character mm-hmm. but i don't know it's also just like it's really hard to buy Barbara Streisand in this role because it's impossible not to see Barbara Streisand in this role. I think the problem is she doesn't really, you're absolutely right about that, where it's like, it's just watching a star monologue for two hours. Right. right. Um, which is like absolutely watchable. But sure. The problem of like understanding Claudia's situation, I don't think Barbara really paints that in very much. I think she just likes having these like monologues that she delivers well but like i i agree i don't understand the particulars of her circumstances all that much like it feels like she just emerges as a fully formed 45 year old woman we don't really understand the like chain of events or like how she has evolved as a person from like her abuse when she was younger like or how it informed anything like what it means for her estrangement with her family how that developed right and on top of that the psychology of it is so fuzzy like it's all yeah. the because we're we start the movie at her arraignment essentially right before she punches out her lawyer and it's like she's already acting nuts like she's already acting semi-crazy and it's like Okay, are we supposed to see this as, you know, an innocent woman who kills justifiably in defense of her own life, and then because she's being railroaded by the system, that's why she's acting crazy? Like, that's what has driven her to this? Or, like, is there some sort of, you know, is it, you know, her childhood trauma that is now emerging because of this? She was acting all that crazy. She just wasn't sitting still. Well, like. Yes, but, like, very clearly, the first half of this movie is intended to sort of blur this line between, we're supposed to, as an audience, wonder, is she really, you know, is she nuts? Is she crazy? Mm -hmm. Is she, you know, why is she acting out constantly when, like, you know, you would imagine that somebody in this situation would be frightened or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, asking, you know, what it's going to happen next like this whole kind of thing and she's just sort of like she's gone through trauma right but like but the movie i don't think does a good enough job of 
putting us in her head at the beginning of the movie and really tries to explain her inner self through a lot of exterior revelations. And for a minute, I thought it was going to do something that I thought would make me be really invested in the movie where I thought it could become, no, she's fine. She's just experienced trauma, but this is how the system right. immediately reacts to women who have handled trauma right. um, and just right. assumes, you know, uh, some type of psychosis. But, like, the movie wasn't that either. Like, like what... it does become kind of this treatise for, like, understanding and not passing immediate judgment towards sex workers, which, like, I appreciated that it had those notes, but it doesn't, like, it does, this movie's not about anything systemic either. Right. One of the first things that sort of trips her wire at the beginning of the movie is when she's arraigned, they call her Claudia Kirk. Kirk is her family's last name. Mm -hmm. And she, like, immediately is like, tell him to call me Draper. Like, you know what I mean? She's, you know. Yeah. It becomes Barbara yelling. It's not, you know. Right. But it also ties into this whole very pat idea that she's the way she is because she was sexually abused as a teenager. She's a prostitute because she was sexually abused as a teenager. Like, that's the sort of, like, retrograde 1980s view of prostitution. That if nobody's a prostitute for no reason, somebody's got to have a reason. Somebody's got to have some sort of, like, deep, dark trauma. And... You know, it's you can't really expect a movie from 1987 to be 2020-level enlightened about sex workers. Like, I'm not going into that with that kind of expectation. But it's still a very pat, uh, you know, reason for— Even so, it felt retrograde, right? Yeah, yeah. Or just, like, easy. Just too easy. Just too, Mm -hmm. you know, the story is too simple. I think it—I think a better movie would have— made a lot better use of what Streisand is giving in this performance, which while still like taking you out of the movie at kind of all times is a hugely energetic and compelling performance. (laughs) Right. Right. The way she flies off the handle is the way we've seen her uh, fly off the handle in other roles where no one's questioning her sanity. But like, God damn it. Would I have loved to see Deborah Winger tear into that role? Right. She would have been amazing. Like, that's, like, what a perfect Deborah Winger role. Deborah Winger, who also, by the way, has been plagued for years with, she's difficult, she's tempestuous, right? The the turbulent brilliance of Deborah Winger. I keep going back to this Shirley MacLaine speech. Shirley MacLaine, by the way, has been floating around this entire, like, my entire research into Streisand. She's the one who presented her with the DeMille Award on that clip that I watched. I absolutely watched the clip from the Prince of Tide Oscars where Liza Minnelli and Shirley MacLaine go out to present best score i think and just start like chatting with barbara in the audience so liza why don't you and i and some other real life human beings next year get together and make a musical of our own all right yes you know we should get that other buddy of ours i mean that you know the singer the actress that girl over there the funny girl the director right the director that we would most like to work with Some other life. Now, 
which is <laughs> fantastic. Talk about how they want to make a movie. It's our favorite director, and that's the one we want to make a movie with. It's wonderful. Um, a shame that they didn't, because that movie probably would have rolled. Yeah. But Deborah Winger... Or at least been really bad, and we would have loved it. Yeah, fuck yeah. I'd watch that, like, 12 times a day. Um, yeah. Deborah Winger, who was, like, plagued for years with all these, you know, she's difficult, she's tempestuous, she, uh, you know, nobody can work with her. Slap Shirley MacLaine, farted on people. <laughs> right, right. And was kind of, like, you know... Uh, semi somewhat drummed out of hollywood to the point where like that rosanna arquette documentary is called searching for deborah winger because it's like where do middle actresses go when they're sort of put out to pasture and so like winger would have been a perfect casting for that because it would have given you such layers like so many layers Mm -hmm. of that is just like people who think deborah winger's crazy because she like demands her own like space in the universe right like, I, I think there would have been maybe a little bit of uh, vulnerability that barbara doesn't have or right? a little bit of unpredictability maybe because you think of deborah winger's performances and they're mostly pretty even keel yeah um and to like see her lash out in some of these scenes w- you maybe would have felt the impact of oh this character is going to an extreme yeah Whereas for Barbara, it doesn't feel like an extreme. Do you think, and this is fully like asking you to live in the realm of fantasy, if Deborah Winger is in this role, does she get an Oscar nomination for it? Maybe. I think maybe. Was Deborah Winger getting nominated for something else around this time, though? Around this time? I don't think so, but give me half a second to delve in. Because I think she got, didn't she, she's got two Oscar nominations to her career. Give me a second. Uh, no, three, because Shadowlands also. It's an officer and oh, a gentleman yeah. in eighty three, or in eighty two. Terms of Endearment in eighty three, and then Shadowlands in ninety three. Um, but she was also in like Urban Cowboy, which I think was maybe a Golden Globe nominee or something like that around the sort of early. No, that was nineteen eighty. So that was even before nineteen eighty seven. Around this time, she's doing like genre movies, like the thriller Black Widow and Legal Eagles. That was uh, eighty six. Was Legal Eagles for her? Yeah, um, yeah. I think. I mean, you in your in you know your notes for this episode for our outline, you make mention of what a great Best Actress year this was. So Streisand and Dreyfus are both nominated for Golden Globes for this, and, and Nuts- it has a Golden Globe. Uh- motion picture drama nomination exactly but like best actress at the oscars this year is a tough nut to crack speaking of nuts um it's this is the year that Cher wins much deserved oscar uh oscar win for Cher for moonstruck she beats out holly hunter for broadcast broadcast news meryl streep who was so well reviewed for iron weed a movie i've still never seen um sally kirkland who campaigned tirelessly to get nominated for Sally Anna. Kirkland, who frankly was probably second place. Yeah, probably. The the I always think of... this is the year of uh, the other nominee you haven't mentioned yet. I know you're getting there. But it's Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction. Yes. And a lot of people wonder, why didn't she win for Fatal Attraction? Well, she probably wasn't even second place for Fatal Attraction. Sally Kirkland beats her to the globe. Sally Kirkland does beat her to the globe. Although, so... The chapter about 1987 in Inside Oscar, which we talk about every once in a while, the great, great book Inside Oscar that tells the stories of every Oscar year. Um, truly fantastic. Um, the story that's told in Inside Oscar about like the lengths to which 
Sally Kirkland like promoted herself for that Oscar nomination for Anna is amazing and like psychotic, but in the best way. Like it's just this is why Sally Kirkland would keep like showing up at the Oscars for like years and years and years and like forever. Just like got to be in the conversation, got to be there. Um, that Sally seems... Kirkland's campaigning has more of a footprint than the movie she was nominated for. Oh, I don't think that movie's even percent. available. One million percent. Um, but that all adds up to a Golden Globe for me, definitely. I do still think there's probably a chance that if you looked at the vote totals, that Glenn Close is second for Fatal Attraction, just because she was, you know, Wendy Williams. I mean, that's the quote, the she was movie. the moment. Like, she was, yeah, she was the top of the zeitgeist at that moment. But Cher very much deservedly wins. So Can we do the, like, shakedown of things to come in the years ahead, also slash possibly get you to yell at me oh god what about glenn close i think that should be holly hunter's oscar oh well you want because angela bassett to win in 93 so you're sort i of want angela backwards. bassett to win in 93 but that is also my favorite holly hunter performance does that mean Cher doesn't have an oscar i think that that is not the case because i think Cher would have an oscar for something else possibly if Cher doesn't win that oscar i think that does change her career and that she makes more movies she makes more movies she keeps trying for it she clearly wanted it which like who among us um but she's fantastic in Moonstruck, though. That's the oh, thing. Oh, she's and, like, incredible in Moonstruck. Like, I mean, this is this is a great uh, category and lineup. Also, you don't give Glenn Close this Oscar. You give Glenn Close the Oscar next year for yes. Dangerous Liaisons. That's the one I always say. Is like Glenn Close should have won for Dangerous Liaisons. You didn't know at the time that Jodie Foster would have had the Silence of the Lambs in her future, but like, you didn't need to award her for The Accused. The Accused, by the way, also written by the same guy who wrote the play for Nuts, which. If you think about it for a second, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. The Accused da- is the better version of Nuts. Down to the haircut that Barbara has in that split-second flashback where they show her in the bathtub, and mm-hmm. she's, like, stricken or whatever, and she's got that, like, punky haircut or whatever, that short, chopped thing that, by the way, it looks absolutely unbelievable on Barbara. Like, you would never, ever in your life imagine. <laughs> the thought that came to my mind was, why would you wear a wig in a bathtub? Um <laughs> <laughs> What's she doing? Um, like, the, 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 Claudia put on a wig to get into her bath. Although I will say, if you go back through and watch clips of old Barbara interviews or like her in the audience at award shows, there are so many moments in time where her hair is just crimped for the gods and it's amazing. Crimped Barbara hair just like stayed. Like the Prince of Tides hair is basically the same as the Nuts hair, maybe with like... I don't know, a little bit longer of a blowout. I don't know. Well, that was, yeah, that's the sort of just like, that's the sort of full bodied curl, like, you know, uh, uh, carelessly curled hair kind of like a thing, right? But like, I'm talking about like crimping iron, fried looking, like legitimately 1980s prom crimped hair. And it's, it happens. Like Angelica's from Rugrats, Cynthia doll was a Barbara (laughs) doll before. Like, and that was just Barbara's look often like in interviews and at award shows it's just amazing it's you know god bless and then it became the bob which like yes the rachel is basically just like an extended barbara streisand kind of yeah 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 yeah. 
Where is where is her justice for that? Where are her royalties yeah, for that? Yeah, it's like a, it's a Barbara with an extra two inches. Also, this modern trend of like when like fingernails came back and all of a sudden people were wearing uh, Barbara always had those nails. That's like, the thing is that never went out Barbara. of style. Like Barbara is owed royalties on that as well. Absolutely. We do sound like two 80-year-old gay men talking about Barbara. <laughs> like, it's unavoidable. I'm just going to own it. You know what? Whatever. I'll show my age. The, but, like, this is the thing. Is So, I'm again, going through all these clips, and they showed the extended version of her performance with Judy Garland on the Judy Garland show. It's Happy Days uh-huh. Are Here Again, and come on, get happy. It's a miraculous moment in time. It's It birthed an entire generation of gay men. It is... It's two voices at the top of their form sounding like God created them to sing together. It's just Mm -hmm. perfect. And I had the thought of, is Judy not a better movie if it's entirely, entirely based on that day? Holy shit. Like that's Except the movie I want to watch. Cast in those, I mean, like Barbara. That cast Barbara. Barbara as herself. No, um, <laughs> I don't know who you would cast. Leah Michelle would burn down your house if you didn't cast her, but you shouldn't. But like, yeah. you would you would risk your life casting somebody else. That's what else. insurance is for. It's for <laughs> Leah Michelle burning down. Your it's your Leah Michelle. Have you <laughs> have you paid up your Leah Michelle insurance because you are casting uh, yeah. a Barbara Streisand role? Yeah. No, I think that's. Because that's that's your crossroads, right? That's your crossroads in history, and you know Judy's going out and Barbara's coming in. There's nothing saying that we can't make that movie. Let some somebody make that movie. Somebody throw some money at the two of us, and we'll make the first ever this had Oscar buzz production, and it will be uh, come on, get happy, uh, our our Barbara Judy biopic. Yeah. Anyway, Amazing. nuts. Le nuts. Le nuts. What else did this get besides? Uh, uh, Golden Globe nominations. Did it get any kind of other? I can't imagine it got critics awards. It got a foreign actress uh, nomination, the Donatello Awards, for Miss Streisand. I've, these, I think, are the Italian Oscars. That sounds like it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me see who she was nominated against. She was nominated against Cher and Glenn Close. So that's a great line. Wow, that is. I mean, talk about three women you'd want to have to to over for dinner at the same time as Barbara yeah, Streisand sharing Wise Club too. Yes, for real. So the eighty-seven Oscars in general, or the let's talk about the eighty-seven Golden Globes because that's where uh, they get their three nominations. Um, I'm trying to look at like what are the outliers in terms of like stuff that was nominated for Globes. And not that for... didn't get to Oscar. It's things I've never heard of, and then Baby Boom. <laughs> Diane Keaton's nominated for Baby Boom. Right, right. The rules. Jennifer Grey got a nomination for uh, Dirty Dancing, which yes, because true. that film was such a success. I guess they're calling that a musical because it is not a comedy. Um, one of the better actual comedy nominations is Bette Midler for Outrageous Fortune, which is the movie that where is, that's cool. her and Shelley yeah. Long. Is it that she and Shelley Long find out they were married to the same man? Is I that the, the concept? That... Like, that's a movie that exists solely as a poster to me. Of the two of them hanging off of the cliff? Yes, yes. Postcards from the Edge. So. That is a video factory staple for me. We, were, I, I, I say we. This was not my brother's doing. This was me. Like I was like, let's rent outrageous fortune. Nobody knew, weirdly enough, about what I would become. Um, <laughs> yeah, Barbara Stry or Barbara Streisand, Bette Midler. Uh, we're hitting all the the old gay men 
hallmarks this episode, aren't we? Barbara, well, let's Judy, talk about nominee Faye Dunaway while we're at I it. I was gonna say, why don't we just talk about Bernadette Peters while we're at it? Um we also did mention Liza Minnelli. We are playing all the hits. Anyway, it's Bette Midler and Shelley Long hanging off of the cliff. It's one of those um uh what's the style of drawing where it's it's anyway, it's a, you know, it's a drawing, but it's like you know, photorealistic. Whatever. Anyway, they're hanging off the cliff. I think the concept of that movie is they find out that they were both married to the same man who like fakes his death. I think that's what it is. Anyway, it's very funny. It's an Arthur Hiller movie. Like it's you know it's got the, um, it's got the gravitas to it, but it's it's just funny. It's a good sounds comedy. like our biopic. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, outrageous fortune. Our it's it said somebody photoshopped the two of our faces hanging off of that cliff. Please, actually, God don't, God no don't. <laughs> Um, that was also the first throw mama from the train year. So like DeVito gets a nomination for uh, best actor musical or comedy there. That's supporting actress that year. As I'm like scrolling down the, uh, the nomination ballot for this um, supporting actress at the Oscars is easy to remember because it's Olympia Dukakis who won. That's easy. Uh, the hard one to remember is Norma Aleandro for, um, Gabby, a true story, but like then the other three are all named Anne, so it's Anne Archer for Fatal Attraction, Anne Ramsey for Throw Mama from the Train, and then Love Anne Ramsey, Anne Southern for um, The Whales of August, a movie that I still desperately need to see uh, because it's Whales of August is Lillian Gish and Betty Davis as like old ass ladies, just like ladies in lavendering their way through uh, life, and that's who doesn't want to see that. Yeah, I agree. I would watch any movie like that at any given time. Wild. Rob Lowe got a supporting actor nomination for something called Square Dance that I've never heard of, but it's him, Winona Ryder, Jason Robards, and Jane Alexander. I know, I've never heard of this movie. What's its IMDb logline? Now I want to see this. Hold on a second. Square Dance. Oh, God, it's one of those IMDb loglines that's like a whole paragraph, but whatever. Gemma is 13 years old and lives with her grandpa in the country. She has for many years. One day, her mother shows up and wants to take Gemma to the city. Her mother is married now and can provide for Gemma. Gemma goes with her mother. What the fuck is this description? In the city, she gets to know Rory, a mentally disabled boy. That's got to be Rob Lowe. Um, Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. No. Oh, I... This, the, oh god they play together imitating that they are married that is square dance okay look at the photos i'm gonna post a photo of winona Ryder in this movie onto the tumblr you guys you got to check it out uh winona's glasses amazing <laughs> go to the imdb poster though because it's um jane alexander dressed like um redheaded jane alexander. like share and mask kind of like she's just like yeah. you can tell she's like are you a diner waitress like there's a very good chance there's just a very very good chance that that's what's happening here i know almost all the winona Ryder movies i do not know square dance at all we're gonna want we're gonna track down square dance and we're gonna watch it yeah she is wearing the big sort of like uh nerd glasses for sure and in, in these photos crazy 1987 what a year what a, what time a year to be alive. my year i was baby yeah well, you keep mentioning that I know. I'm just trying. I listen. If if we're going to do a Barbara episode, I have to be true 
to the Barbara ethos and make this entirely about me. <laughs> fair. That is fair. Um, now I'm looking at the best original song nominees that year. I just want to read them to you. Because obviously I've had the time of my life wins the Oscar and this. Um, and also nothing. That's Amore was an original song. <laughs> Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now gets uh, from Mannequin. The, the, should win. Diane Warren should song. Be the winner. Probably should. I can't, you can't take issue with the Dirty Dancing song. It's a, it's, you know, it's in the culture. I mean, sure. It's in but... the culture. But Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now is a jam from Mannequin. That also gets an Oscar nomination. But then the other three Globe nominees don't. It's Bob Seger's Shakedown from Beverly Hills Cup 2, which I absolutely remember hearing all the time in the 1980s. Um, a David Foster a song from the secret of my success called the secret of my success but then who's that girl madonna because you know how madonna never gets oscar nominations unless she's singing songs from like classic american theater uh songwriters sondheim. i don't know what you must love me you're talking about sondheim and andrew lloyd weber she is the connection between the two of them it's underrated sondheim song oh sooner or later it's great like yeah yeah it's a great song um, but yeah, Who's That Girl? Fantastic song. So-so movie. But um, would have been a worthy Oscar nominee, for sure. The Oscar nominees were uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Dirty Dancing Wins, Mannequin Should Have Won, uh, Cry Freedom from Cry Freedom, and uh, The Princess Bride has an original song called Storybook Love. Uh, yeah, it plays over the closing credits of that movie, if you remember. Fabulous. Yeah. Is there anything else we wanna delve into? I feel like I feel like I've we've barely scratched the surface of the stripes. Barbara stuff. at least. Like yeah. I think I do think that it's interesting that this comes after Yentl, where Yentl was uh, such a big deal that she also directed it. She wins the globe for directing for that movie. First woman to ever nominated. win right? First woman yep. to ever win the globe for directing. And doesn't get the nomination to the point where, like, that is su- like her not getting nominated for best director for Yentl is still like an enduring le- uh, narrative to where, like, she's the person they bring out to award uh, Catherine Bigelow. Right. See, okay. And I think it's it's Yentl, but then tied into Prince of Tides because Prince of Tides, too. Yentl, yeah. I think it's much more plausible to me. That, like, Yentl is a Golden Globe phenomenon. It's a musical. It doesn't get a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. And I think there are... there Six are nominations, though, at the Oscars. Sure. Like, so it had to have been close. Sure. But I think with The Prince of Tides, the fact that it was a Best Picture nominee, the fact that it was, like, Best Actor nominee, it was, it was you know, all the sort of top categories at the Oscars. And, and I think it was, like, one of the most nominated movies of that year in general. Uh, people thought it might actually win. That was the year 91 where, like, Best Picture was a total free-for-all. Like, nobody really knew what mm-hmm. was going to happen. Scent of a Woman had won the Globe. Beauty and the Beast is, like, the first animated movie nominated for Best Picture ever. So, like, did they like that enough? JFK was a phenomenon. Bugsy was crazy nominated. And then... JFK was a phenomenon, but they'd already given Oliver Stone two Oscars in the last, like, five years. Right. Son of a Woman, I should have... The Son of a Woman was the next year. I, I don't know why I said that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, 91. Uh, Bugsy gets a ton of nominations, and then Silence of the Lambs comes from out of nowhere. But Barbara getting that snub for Best Director, that was all of a sudden. When it became like Yentl and then, uh, and then The Prince of Tides, it was... Mm-hmm. 
it started to feel intentional and it started to well, feel Well, there's a whole level of like sexism through that Oscars too because Ridley Scott gets nominated for a director for Thelma and Louise but they don't nominate it for best picture. Right. Right. We should mention uh John Singleton is the um other directing nominee, the first black man to be nominated for best director. Yep. The movie's amazing. Yep. So it's just those two Golden Globe nominations, but again, she does get the win for Yentl. And I mean, the jokes about Yentl are sort of plentiful in the culture and like it is kind of a ridiculous premise on its face. Again, she's 40 years old and she's playing a school child and all that. Again, I will go back again and again to the Ernie Sabella clip from in and out yelling she was too old for Yentl and uh, you, as the Kevin Klein of this podcast, will... Sit down in front of Yentl, guys. Yentl rules. Yentl is awesome. Yentl's wild. Yentl's, uh... It's a time. It's a Man time. Tinkin is so sexy. He is. That I will enthusiastically agree with. And, like, some of the songs are really fantastic. Shit out of it. It is... It does kind of go it on and on. It's one of my favorite finale songs ever. What's the finale song in that? A Piece of Sky. Also, listeners, go watch yeah. Cynthia Revo's version of A yes. Piece of Sky. Holy shit. Yeah. And it's an original musical. Like, those are hard to right. come by. You know what I mean? It's not based on anything. It's, you know, again, Barbara co-wrote the screenplay. She's, you know, it's stem to stern. It's probably the best example of the power that she yielded in Hollywood when she did, that she was able to make that movie happen on her like completely on her terms Mm -hmm. and you can imagine i just imagine all of the meetings where people were just like you could cast somebody else in the lead role and she's just like no (laughs) nope it's gonna be me but uh yeah 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 until the time the prince of tides is not a movie i have seen recently from what i understand people don't love it nowadays but it just got added to the Criterion Collection, too. Did it really? That's cool. Yeah, because like we thought that they were going to add a Barbara movie, but we thought it would be Yentl, <laughs> um, and it was Prince of Tides. It's just the three that she's directed, right? Yentl, Prince of Tides, and Mirror Has Two Faces? I think so. I think that's I'm right. Mirror Has Two Faces, which I would die to be able to do on this podcast, but it of course got nominations, including what everybody thought would be the long overdue Lauren Bacall win that didn't happen. And she got uh, right. edged out by Juliette Binoche at the end. Edged out by Juliette Binoche dressed as Count Chocula. Dressed as Count Chocula. They're big. As I'm, uh, as, as it is my duty to remind you. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, go find an image of Juliette Binoche wearing that crazy collar. I don't think collar. the Barbara Gypsy is going to happen anymore. No. Because she was going to play Mama Rose and direct it. But again... So I do think we are... Uh, uh, one thing that the culture is missing is Stephanie Germanata's Gypsy Rose Lee. See, this is the thing. is If you're going to make a film version of Gypsy, do it to that level. Make it that Huge. level of insane. Just big and crazy. And Barbara Streisand is Mama Rose. And Lady Gaga is Gypsy Rose Lee. And no, age doesn't mean a goddamn thing anymore. And just do Christine it. Baranski needs to be one of the three in You Gotta Get a Gimmick. <laughs> she's Mazeppa. She's not Mazeppa. She's not like... Ah. But I would much rather that version of Gypsy than like let Rob Marshall do Gypsy and cast that same sort of like cast of usual cast suspects. Demi Lovato. Lord, Lord knows I love Meryl Streep, but we don't need Meryl Streep doing Mama Rose. Like you know what I mean? Just like just yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, Bernadette Peters. Anyway, this episode has become us being the gay Statler and Waldorf. For real, though. Like, we really just, like, turned it up to 11. Uh, all I have to say, I guess, is happy Pride. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, it's not Pride season. It isn't. Uh, let's talk about Martin Ritt a little bit. We oh, haven't yeah, really yeah, even yeah. mentioned him, but he's like a really like a director we never talk about, but an incredible like actors director. Did you read Sally Field's memoir? No, not yet. She talks about him quite a bit and like loves the shit out of him. And he directed her to the normal Ray win. He yes. also directed Patricia Neal and Melvin Douglas to their wins for HUD. HUD is the only time he's nominated as a director. But like, if you look at the names of actors that he's directed to nominations, it's kind of insane. I Here's the list that I have. Paul Newman, Cicely Tyson, Richard Burton, James Garner, Alfre Woodard, James Earl Jones, Jane Alexander, Rip Torn, Geraldine Page, and Paul Winfield. Yeah, that's a lot of people. That's a crazy list. I look looking at his list of movies that he's made. I realize I've only seen now. This would be the third of them. I watched Cross Creek, the um, Mary Steenburgen, Alfre Woodard movie that uh, mm-hmm. Alfre Woodard was so good in. I think that's Alfre Woodard's only Oscar nomination. I'm pretty sure, which is crazy, but it's true. And I've seen weirdly, I've seen Conrac because uh, we watched it in school. <laughs> the um, you haven't seen Norma Ray. Uh no, I've never seen Norma Ray. That's oh, on my list Jesus. of things you that I've got to watch that on Hulu before it's gone. I know, because, I really like should. that's a that's a Fox property, so it's like when those movies become available, you need to watch. Yeah, them that's a really good point. Yeah, Conrack is based on a Pat Conroy book, which also was Pat Conroy was the author of The Prince of Tides to tie uh, things back in. Pat Conroy, yeah, Pat Conroy, yeah, yeah, um. His last movie was Stanley and Iris, which is another one I've always wanted to see because it's Jane Fonda and Robert De Niro. And I don't know if it's good, but it's the last movie she made until Monster-in-Law, which is amazing. So, Wow, that was like 15 years. I forgot that she was gone that long. Yeah, the Ted Turner years. She made, she you know dropped out oh, and just lived on Ted Turner's ranch. That, by the way, is a fantastic documentary. It's the HBO Jane Fonda documentary. Did you watch that? I keep meaning to, and I oh, haven't yet. So good. And HBO, I, love her so much. I will say, HBO low key does celebrity biographies in a way where, like, clearly they had the participation of the people involved, and yet they still feel nur- decently nourishing. The Jane Fonda one is mm-hmm. good. The Spielberg one is good. The Nora Ephron one that her son directed is great. That one's great. I didn't like the Spielberg one. I thought the Spielberg one was good. I enjoyed that. I feel like there's, you know, you're only going to get so much out of, you know, the inner psychology of Steven Spielberg anyway, but I thought that was sure, a good, sure, sure, sure. I thought that was a good, uh, good effort at it. Do you have any notes on Richard Dreyfus? This is between nominations for him. I always think it's really funny that he got nominated for Mr. Holland's Opus. I mean, like, I notorious uh, grade school roll out a TV and put on a music <laughs> movie and yeah. music class, Mr. Holland's Opus. Mr. Holland's Opus is what it is, but I think for what it is, I think it is really good. Um, he's an actor who, again, my my first conception of Richard Dreyfus is What About Bob, which I actually think he's fantastic <laughs> in. He probably should he have gotten a Golden Globe nomination movie. for that because he and Bill, Bill Murray both are fantastic. It's, he's funnier than Bill Murray is in that movie, and that yes. is quite the accomplishment. Yes, yeah, that's a fantastic movie. Who directed that one? Uh, is, that, is that an Ivan? That's not an Ivan Reitman movie. That's is it? 
someone that it's embarrassing it's not right there hold on frank oz frank oz directed that frank movie oz, sure sure yes, sure yes, yes. uh yeah what about bob excellent movie yeah um it's odd that dreyfus only has the two oscar nominations he wins in 1977 for the goodbye girl he's not nominated again until mr holland's opus which again it's it's a very likable role like you if you watch that movie it's all about making you love this man, right? So it's like, right. it's not surprising. And especially the story of the 95 Oscars is this kind of push and pull between light and dark, where there are these very sort of, um, like, heavy, dark premises, leaving Las Vegas and Dead Man Walking, and, like, Braveheart is wildly violent. And and then there's the other side of that coin where it's like, babe, and uh or like nixon's also very dark right um but then it's like babe and apollo 13 is very uplifting and um what's the other sort of like oh sense and sensibility is this like you know sort of like delightful throwback to literary adaptations or whatever and the thing i think the divide at the oscars was this is how I always remember uh, it for its like trivia purposes is the light happy ones got best picture nominations. And then the darker ones got director nominations where like Tim Robbins got director, but not picture for dead man walking. And I'm pretty sure Mike Figgis got a director nomination for he did. leaving Las Vegas, but that didn't get a best picture nomination. So it's in that context, a nomination for Richard Dreyfus makes even more sense because it's like, you have the heaviness of like Nicolas Cage, Sean Penn as, you know, death row uh, a prisoner in uh, Dead Man Walking, uh, N- uh, Hopkins as Nixon, and then like Massimo Troisi from The Postman who died, you know? So it's all of this sort of like heavy, sad stuff. And it's just like, yes, we will leaven this uh, recipe with like the nicest the of like about nice your man. own music. Teacher. Right. Yeah, exactly. Isn't this a nice man? Don't you want to nominate this nice man? So that makes sense to me. I think it's interesting having him be the co-star of this movie because like we've spent so much of this episode talking about like the reputation that was thrust upon Barbara, right? Like Richard Dreyfus was a known asshole who continued to thrive. Yeah. In terms of uh, what are the, it's just that it's just that he's a pain in the ass, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. A noted pain in the ass. What are like the big movies of like where those stories came out? I don't know of it being attached to any one movie. Yeah. He always also even just like in interviews and whatever, like he seems very touchy and very sort of, uh, you know, prickly. Yeah. He's an actor I really like. Like, I, you know, he'll still crop up in things. He's a good villain. Like, I'm I'm surprised that he hasn't been a villain in more things. That's why I love him. And what about Bob is he's a great comedic villain in that he's like such a sneering, awful uh, uh, human being in the American president, which is probably doesn't make use of he's his Bob talents Brunson and he's uh running he's for running president. for president he sure is who was do we think that character is like was meant to be like bob dole newt gingrich kind of like wrapped into one or was there like a more specific political figure do we think that that was supposed to be i don't know if it was supposed to be a specific person and uh sorkin famously said that he wrote that movie entirely under the influence of cocaine so <laughs> i doubt that it was um which is so funny because that's like the nicest, sweetest. Like, there's no, 
It doesn't even seem particularly manic, right? How much of that is Rob Reiner, though? That's a very good point. That's we a talked really good about point. this during our um, episode on the bucket list. Right. Yeah, that's one of my favorite Reiner movies is The American President. I know all the Sorkin stuff is very like, oh, hokey in America doesn't work like that. And didn't we all, weren't we all so naive when we thought that Democrats and Republicans didn't come together and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, even this thing, did you see that quote that went around this past week where somebody was like, how would you write the end of the president, the Trump presidency? And he was that like. That dumbass Aaron Sorkin quote. It like, is. Okay. Yes. It's where. Calm down. Okay, but like he, so the answer that he gave was, I would write that Trump loses the election, he refuses to concede, and the Republicans in Congress uh, walk up to the White House and tell him it's time to, it's your time to go or whatever. And it's, of course, wildly A, implausible, and B, the Hollywood ending, but yes, wildly implausible, but also just like coming from Sorkin, it just seems like such a blowhard. It is, but okay, but here's, okay, but here's, this is, let me, let me, let me. Speak. Um, it's not the question. Wasn't how do you think this is going to end? Right. It was how would you write it? And of course, Aaron Sorkin would write it that way. Is it annoying? Yes. But it's like it's. I think people were sort of taking it as just like, is this really how Aaron Sorkin thinks the world works? It's like no, he doesn't write the way the world works. He writes the way he wants the world to work. And. I mean, notice the ending of his Steve Jobs biopic. Right, right. Like, all of this stuff. And it's just like, like, it, like, yes, it's it can be very irritating. But also, it has an internal logic into itself that, like, it. I, I'm not going to get worked sure, up about sure, it. I'm sorry. Sure. I'm just not. <laughs> uh, you know what Steve Jobs does at the end of the Steve Jobs biopic? He puts music in his daughter's pocket. You could say he fixes it. He fixes it. <laughs> God, I, I don't understand how I never see it you coming. fixed it. I don't see it coming, ever. Okay. Uh, final thoughts on Nuts before we move on to the MTP game. Um, uh, I don't know, man. I love Barbara, obviously. Don't judge her blowjobs. Uh, Just don't. Yeah, don't. <laughs> don't judge her blowjobs. It, it felt like it. I, I, uh, we've tried to go back as far in time as we could. Uh, so it's like, it's exciting that we got a movie in from the eighties and it still feels very quintessentially like the problems with this movie are very much the problems of movies that also, uh, we talk about on this podcast. Okay. Here's one thing I wanted to ask. Did you like the dialogue in this movie? There's a lot of very sort of like back and forth dialogue. It's not very good. I, Barbara elevates it. I think all right. I think that's probably where I come down to the Barbara elevates it where while still being wrong. Oh, this is what I wanted to like at least mention in the episode. It's interesting to me that Pretty Woman comes a few years after this yeah. and also is like not the best uh, portrait of uh, sex workers. Um, I, I just want to know what uh, was everyone okay in the late 80s that they were so fascinated with sex workers that they couldn't just humanize these women? Um, well, but uh, but like the thing about Pretty Woman is that was seen as the humanizing, humanizing it, yeah. uh, sex, like that, the whole trope of the hooker with the heart of gold was initially like, because I mean, you look back to something like Clute or whatever, and that's a much more like hard edge, whatever. And it's like, it's th- this like classic, you know, 70s American cinema where like we and a more like nuanced look at this, you know, but it also allowed like, feels like it's so broad, right? And and that that by the 80s and early 90s. 
it was, well, we don't want to have any negative. We don't want to have a negative portrayal. So we'll just make her like the nicest person in the world. And Julia Roberts, like we're just going to make her Julia Roberts. And that's fine. Whereas at least nuts, like uh, Ebert calls out the hooker with the heart of gold trope. Doesn't call it exactly that, but like mostly in his interview. And it's like, yes, but like, I don't think this movie ever, even by the end, like makes Barbara's character like nice, right? Like she's Mm -hmm. still kind of, she still sort of like strides out into the streets again, wearing her bathrobe, like fully. (laughs) I thought that was like Jenna Rollins and woman under the influence, just like throwing her arms and dancing in the street. I want to make a supercut or some kind of like collection of like all of the great movies that end with people walking into New York City crowds and disappearing. I obviously talked about Closer a lot with that ending. But um it's a it's a trope I never don't enjoy. Like it's I don't know. I always find it very soothing or something. <laughs> And now, of course, the yeah, idea of walking into a crowd of people is terrifying. Uh, yes. Though I didn't think about it in this movie, and I th- I've thought about it in almost every other movie I've watched. The COVID implications of everything? Yeah, yeah. of, like, don't, don't get close to people. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Okay. Uh, so, Joseph, why don't you explain to our lovely listeners what the IMDb game is? Oh, why don't I? All right. The IMDb game is what we play every week. We end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress. Try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints spectacular the imdb game would you like to give or guess first this week i'm gonna give first Ooh, okay what do you have for me so we have talked quite a bit in this podcast about the film yentl and in particular we have talked about the uh sexual awakening brought upon by one mr mandy patinkin haha so we have never done Mandy Patinkin as an IMDb game, and that changes now. So I'm going to ask you to give me the known four for Mandy Patinkin, one of which is television. Which is Homeland. Correct. Um, Yentl. Incorrect. Strike one. Ah, okay. Princess Bride. Yes. This is where it gets difficult. It is. Um... What else was he in in the 80s after Yentl? I feel like there wasn't really that much. Um, I mean, besides uh, Princess Bride. We also mentioned uh, uh, sooner or later Sondheim song. Is it Dick Tracy? It is Dick Tracy. He plays the piano player in Dick Tracy. Okay. Hmm. One remaining, you only have one strike. I'm trying to think of what else he has been in. There's got to be something that's recent in there. Because they so rarely are uh, people ever... Like, are they all older movies? Ooh... What the hell has he been in? He doesn't make a ton of movies. That is the thing. It is very silly that he's done other TV besides 
uh, Homeland. Didn't he do like a cop show? Well, yeah, his whole thing was he uh, he begins like on television CBS, shows yes. and leaves them. So he was on Chicago Hope, and then he left that early on. He was on Criminal Minds, which is probably the one you're thinking of, and then he left that after a few seasons. Okay. He was also on that show Dead Like Me on Showtime, if you recall, which I think he oh, also may have left that. after one season. Well, as he is apparently prone to do. Um, okay. Um, wait. What is that movie that we need to do an episode on? I know he was in it. Uh, Life Itself. He's in Life Itself. That's what I would have guessed, Isn't too. Isn't he like Oscar Isaac's dad? He is. They want us to he's, think he's Oscar he's Isaac's someone's dad. dad. He's definitely someone's dad. Um, it's not Life Itself, but that's what I would have guessed as well. Okay. Oh, so my now you year. get a hint. Uh, your year is 2017. Okay, so my deductive logic was right that it is recent. I don't know what it could be. He's not the main character in this movie, I will say that. I want to say he's... Yeah, tracks. Well, of course they don't. All right, now I've got to look up the billing somewhere else because IMDb lists it by appearance. Okay, right. so 2017, this is the mother year. This he's is fifth build Shape in of this. Water. He's fifth build. Fifth build? Yeah. It okay. was an Oscar nominee in uh, a small oh. category. It was one Oscar small nomination. Category. Yeah, in a in a craft category. So we, c- uh, we couldn't do like it. Like sound? No. Score? No. Makeup? Yes. Is it Wonder? It's Wonder. Nice movie. He's fifth nice. filled in Wonder, and his character is Mr. Tushman, which I think is funny. Oh, he's probably a teacher or something. It's Tushman. He's the Tushman, you know? Yes, All Wonder. Right. Wonder. Nice movie. Nice movie. Nice movie. I, actually, I actually liked Wonder, I will say. I thought it was uh, pretty Isn't good. is Noah Jupe the other boy in the movie? Oh, uh, let me see. Because it's trauma. Yes, Noah Jupe is also makeup. in that movie. Noah Jupe is like really good in that movie oh. for no reason. You love Noah Julie Jupe. Julie Roberts is good. You are like a Noah Jupe's a good giant actor. Noah Jupe fan. He's gonna he's gonna have a nice long career of being good in cinema. Good for him. Good for that boy. All right. Hit me with yours. All right. So you went to Yentl. I too went to Yentl. <laughs> Great. I went to Yentl. <laughs> Uh, not to Mandy Patinkin. Oh, God. I went to the Oscar and Razzie nominee for Yen. Damn Soul. it. One Miss Amy Irving. All right. How do you feel about Amy Irving? Amy Irving Amy Irmy. in Yentl? Amy Irving. Amy Irving. <laughs> I think Amy Irving in Yentl is good. Probably not Oscar nominee good. I don't think I think i don't think she's a razzie nominee either i think she's neither good nor bad so i don't understand the razzie nomination yeah or the oscar i've loved amy irving in a lot of things but she's kind of barely in the movie yes it's a it's a very it's it's odd that that's its one uh that's its one nomination but yeah amy irving okay so yentl no. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. Um, no television? No television. All right. Carrie. Yes, Carrie. All right. No television. 
I guess it wouldn't make sense that she would be on for Alias, even though I fucking loved her in Alias. I mean, she's did she was she ever a main cast member on Alias? No, she's just a guest. No, she wasn't. But still, the guest stars on that show were like like kind of made that show anyway. And it's not for voicing the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit either, because you would have said There's voice no role. voice work. I didn't know she was the singing yes, Jessica Rabbit. Yes, she's the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit. Fascinating. I'm pretty sure. Let me look here, girl. Look up, look up, uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Soundtrack. Yeah. See? That's her. Yeah. Yep. Quiz your friends. No voice work. Okay. No voice work. I've got what? One out of four? Great. (sighs) One out of four. One wrong guess because you guessed Yentl and Yentl was not there. Oh. And you have to stop saying that I give you people uh, from the lead in and have that movie be on their notes. Oh, I'll still say it, but I I will will acknowledge that. uh, Still say it. I will say it. We, as uh, because this has been us like just, you know, trying to fill in all of the corners of our uh, stereotypical gayness, we as gay men. Love to complain. Yes, it's true. Uh, that is one million percent true. Okay, I remember that she's in traffic. Traffic, yes. Okay, good. It's got to be something recent. Oh, she's in Unsane. She's the mom in Unsane, right? Uh, she is. She's an but older. Is not she's there. She's an older Unsane authority is, figure. Uh, Unsane. Yeah, so that's your two wrong answers. Unsane is interesting, but it looks like garbage. So, and I know it's there's supposed like one to, amazing what? scene in that movie, and I hated the rest of it. Um, your years are 2009 and 1988. <laughs> All right, 88. 88 is just like her face on the poster. Oh, boy. That's the only thing I know about this movie, is I remember her face on the cover of a VHS. And what's the other year besides 88? Uh, oh nine. Okay. Have I seen either of these movies? You might have seen oh nine. I'd be surprised if you don't even remember this VHS cover of just her face for the 88 movie. The oh nine movie, everybody has fully forgotten about it, though. Everybody loves the cast of this movie. I'm pretty sure it was a Sundance movie. I'll double check that. Sunshine Cleaning. No, not Sunshine Cleaning. Uh, it was a Sundance movie. Opened in like late August, so it really didn't become an Oscar thing. Though, like, Spooky? the premise of it and the lead performance is definitely Beatty. Oh. There's a love story. 2009 Sundance love story. With uh, the other end of the love story is an actress who uh, we know more for comedy, but she is a great dramatic actress. Perhaps where she has previously played uh, various Slavic princesses with massive hair. Oh, so not Melissa McCarthy, but Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. female love interest. Sundance. Oh, is it Adam? It is Adam. Boy, oh boy. I... Don't Hugh remember. Dancy plays a man with Hasburgers. Yeah. Don't remember any Irving fine. being in that. Okay, 1988. Oh, I'm bad with this kind of stuff once we get older than the 90s. Um, 
I know this is a Warner Brothers movie because of the distinct VHS boxing of their films. Uh, what else can I give you about this? Uh, she has frizzy hair. Uh, I don't think I could give you the plot because I didn't know the plot. Um, <laughs> she has frizzy hair, but I mean, that's the Amy Irving thing. Uh, the second lead of the movie is Peter Reigert. Well, that that puts me even further away from it. That puts you nowhere. Maybe I don't know how to hint, give you hints for this because I haven't seen it. Um, oh, God. Is she Globe nominated for this? She's Globe nominated for this. In 88. Comedy or musical. I, I'm going to have to come up empty on this. I'm sorry. It's Crossing Delancey. She's in Crossing Delancey. I, it's literally a thing that I know the title of. But I ne- I have no other knowledge. The of poster it. is her face. Is her face just her face? That's one of those movies that I know as a title, I mean, but Paul I know Rager nothing else too. about it. So it's Amy Irving is because it sounds like I guess Crossing Delancey sounds so much like Owning Mahoney for me that I always feel like it's a isn't that a Philip Seymour <laughs> Hoffman character piece or something like that? Wild. Is your Delancey crossed or is your Mahoney owned? Yes, yes my Delancey is fully crossed. <sighs> the plot line for this movie is a Manhattan single meets a man through her Jewish grandmother's matchmaker. Excellent. That's simple. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, fantastic. Good and challenging. And <laughs> I think that's our episode. If you want more of this had Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this had Oscar You should also follow our Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, you can find me and Catherine Hepburn tied for uh, Best Actress on my uh, Twitter page at uh, Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. All right. And I am on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please tell us what you like. You like what you see, fellas. <laughs> Just trying to come up with something. We didn't talk about her glamour shot uh, nudes in this movie, which fully just look like a Barbara album cover. <laughs> it's true, though. That's absolutely and, true. Yeah, like I was like, oh, so scandalous. Um, anyway, that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back for next week for more buzz and I think probably the most unhinged movie we've ever done. Goodbye, gorgeous. Goodbye, gorgeous. <laughs>